0: The Eighth Circuit
1: Network. We make things. Put them in your brain. Hello, funky listeners, and welcome back to yet another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle. And this is your other host, Peter. Welcome to Funk Radio. I just said that. Why say it again? <laughs> well, today, we thought it'd be fun, because I planned on doing an episode, this episode a, a while back, but forgot about it, basically. <laughs> um in doing a little research on famous singers from the genres we talk about, we found that there's basically a lot of blind people in music. So we're like, let's just do an episode on blind people, because every time we mention either Ray Charles or Stevie Wonder, I feel the need to mention that he's blind. So now I can mention that every artist is blind.
0: Yes. Not only is it surprising that there's so many of these artists who are blind, but it's also inspiring to see how many of them have rose to success despite that blindness and that's pretty cool
1: yeah it's crazy like that the, i guess not only the different genres i guess that have a lot of famous blind artists but also just the time periods in general
0: mm-hmm.
1: i mean we're dipping all the way back into the 20s with some of these guys it's pretty crazy yeah when obviously like, there was a lot less medical technology to help them. exactly like seeing eye dogs do you think that in like the 1920s instead of seeing eye dogs they had like seeing eye children you know obviously all the way up until the 20s they had child labor so like one of the children's jobs was basically to like be a seeing eye person for a rich blind person and they just like leave them them around
0: (laughs) somehow that wouldn't completely surprise me if that was true you know when you think about how rare it is for any given person to become a popular singer think of how much harder that must be when you're blind i mean how i mean like the odds are so rare but we were able to find what eight people or so. Yeah, within that's... blues and R&B and soul. So I mean, it's pretty crazy to think that there's that many of them and I'm I'm sure there's more. So, we're going to have a good episode today.
1: Cool thing about Funk Radio, blind people
0: can still listen. That is very true. Yeah. Should we get started with our first artist for today? I think we should. The first artist on our roster is a particular
1: blues singer. Blind Lemon Jefferson, which is an awesome name, and it sounds like a drink you'd order at a bar. Mr. Blind Lemon Jefferson, I, did, I can't get over that name, was actually born Lemon Henry Jefferson, so his name was actually Lemon. He was actually born blind near Couchman, Texas, which is near present-day Wortham, Texas. I don't know where either of those places are. It's funny because until Jefferson, very few artists had actually recorded solo voice and blues guitar, because he he was basically popular in the 20s. Yeah. Jefferson's music was uninhibited and represented the classic sounds of everyday life, from honky-tonk to a country picnic to street corner blues to working in the burgeoning oil fields. Um, A further reflection of his interest in mechanical objects and processes. Basically, Mm -hmm. on top of being a blues singer, he was like an absolute whiz as like a mechanic, which sounds like the most manly man in the face of the earth. I think he (laughs) bare-knuckle-boxed as a hobby. That's funny. And at the time, Jefferson actually did what very few artists at the time had ever done, he actually became successful as a solo guitarist and a male vocalist in the commercial recording world, because up until that time, it was almost completely dominated by women. Unlike many artists who were discovered and recorded in their normal venues, in December of 1925 through January of the next year, he was actually taken to Chicago, Illinois to record his first tracks. Uncharacteristically for Jefferson, his first two recordings from his session were actually gospel songs, and this actually led to a second recording session, March of 1926, which were the first releases under his own name. And those first recordings were "Booster Blues" and "Dry Southern Blues," which became huge hits at the time. Um, this led to a release of two of other songs from that session: "Got the Blues" and "Long Lonesome Blues." If you can't tell, I think he plays the blues. which further became Runaway Successes with sales in the six figures, which for the 1920s was like, holy crap, because very few people even at that point had radio.
0: Yeah, that's Uh, a good point.
1: He recorded almost 100 tracks between 1926 and
0: 1929.
1: 43 records were issued, all but one of them on the burgeoning Paramount Records. Hmm. Basically, yeah, he's an old dude. I think he's probably dead by now. Probably. Uh, I know in a prior episode we mentioned Robert Johnson, and he's kind of in that same vein. Basically, these blue artists were being brought up from the South up to, you know, Motown to Chicago to New York to record their songs. Because basically, obviously, blues came from the songs sang by, I don't want to say slaves, <laughs> um, sang by sharecroppers in the late 1800s to 1900s. if anyone knows American history sharecroppers were poor black farmers that were paid small amounts of money to farm land for wealthy white landowners it was basically one step up from slavery because they got paid something yay America anyways to become that famous in the late 1920s and be blind is like phenomenal
0: yeah I mean just just as um, what he accomplished in itself is pretty amazing
1: so I guess without
0: so I don't
1: keep babbling on we should listen to a little clip of one of his uh, more famous songs, which, unfortunately, I didn't mention in the litany of songs I did mention. <laughs> Let's listen to a little clip of Matchbox Blues by Blind Lemon Jefferson. I said, yeah, i one with a matchbox all my soul. I ain't got so many matches, but I got so far to go.
0: That was a pretty good song. Yeah, it definitely sounds pretty old. Considering. Oh, yeah. like, do, we, do we know what year this was recorded? No, I don't, but probably sometime between 1926 and 1929. Hmm. Yeah,
1: pretty cool. So yeah, that was pretty crunchy. And that was Blind Lemon
0: Jefferson. <laughs> that was a crunchy lemon.
1: <laughs> I just remember that skit from Will Sasser that he did through Vine with the lemons. Oh,
0: yeah. I don't know why, cool because
1: well. no one else that I showed thought it was particularly funny but i was literally crying when i saw that (laughs) skit i don't know why it just i was just like i don't know what's going on but i love it (laughs) so you guys should check out will sasso's lemon skit that he uh released through vine that's true you know that that stupid thing where you can post little six second videos apparently (laughs) upon release of that service it was inundated with six seconds of porn all the time everywhere because everyone knows when you invent something, it's immediately used for
0: porn. Interesting. Coming up next, we have another guy. His name is Al Hibbler. Hibbler was a baritone vocalist who began in Duke Ellington's band. Well, actually, in a, in a way, he didn't. He didn't start there. He started with some other bands, but um, he's more famous, famously known for being in Duke Ellington's band. Um, but later on, he broke off from that band and then he started his solo career in 1951. So, Al Hibbler was born in Tyro, Mississippi, and was blind from birth, like many of the other guys from our episode today. Sometimes they were blind from birth, other times it came a little bit later. He actually failed, because I was mentioning that he was famous for being in Duke Ellington's band. Um, His first attempt to audition for the band failed in 1935. Um, However, he did work with a few other bands um, in the years following, and then he actually uh, did join Ellington's orchestra in 1943, which is pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Kind of a cool quote that I found says that although Hibbler's style was described as mannered, overstated, and full of idiosyncrasies and bizarre vocal pyrotechnics, he was also considered undoubtedly the best of Ellington's male vocalists. And also something kind of cool is that while he was working with Duke Ellington, Hibbler won the Ice Choir New Star Award in 1947, and the Downbeat Award for Best Band Vocalist in 1949. I think that's pretty impressive. That is really Especially the Best Band Vocalist thing. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, I didn't even know there was a category. Yeah, I mean, I was reading up about him a little bit, and he seems like he was actually pretty famous in his own right. Obviously, this is, you know, in the late 40s, early 50s, so, I mean, singers were a lot more, you know, established in the music industry, whereas, you know, Blind Leonard Jefferson was a more of a new concept. Um, but he still was able to hold his own, which is pretty cool. One, actually, other minor thing in his biography, I noticed that he was actually a civil rights activist who marched with protesters and— in 1959, got arrested on two separate occasions. I think those were New Jersey and, like, Mississippi, that's pretty or Alabama. Nice. Oh, yeah. actually, and that that was during his solo career, and record labels were hesitant to bring him on because he was known as a civil rights activist, and they didn't want to shake any cages, so. Yeah, that's,
1: remember we, we mentioned earlier about different artists that either did or didn't take a stance as far as uh, civil activism during that time, Duke Ellington being famous for really not taking much of it's kind of cool mm-hmm. to see this guy go the totally opposite route.
0: Yeah. Oh, and one more thing on that, because I remember reading this. None of the record labels wanted to take him because of that, but of all people, Frank Sinatra actually uh, really respected him for it and brought him onto his own label. Really? So, he really? so Al Hibbler released some music under that.
1: That's really cool. Good for
0: Frank, Frank Sinatra, because he kind of, I don't want to be mean to a dead guy, but he was kind of a dick at some points. <laughs> well, pretty much all famous people are. At some point, I know Well, I just
1: remember famously. Okay, remember? You don't remember because you. I don't think we were alive when it happened. Um, this famous Irish singer in like the late '80s, I think, Sinead O'Connor. Uh, she was on SNL or something, and on, in her song, she held up a picture of the Pope and ripped it up, which was like, "Holy crap, you don't do that!" Oh. Well. And Frank Sinatra came out and said someone should punch her. <laughs> Not even kidding. Cool. <laughs> he condones violence against women. Yay. Just like just like Ronald Reagan. (laughs) Yeah. Well there's that awesome gif somewhere on the internet of Ronald Reagan in one of his terrible, terrible westerns where like a woman like strokes his leg and he gets up and punches her.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Not even kidding. I've never seen that.
1: Yeah, it was on one of the terrible
0: westerns he made in the fifties.
1: So yeah, that's pretty cool. Ronald Reagan punching people.
0: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) So the song that we're going to play a little clip from Al Hibbler is called After the Lights Go Down Low. This was his last number 10 hit, and it was originally written by Phil Belmonte, Alan White, and Leroy C. Lovett, and published in 1956. It's been recorded by a lot of artists, as sometimes happened with some of these earlier songs, where it'll be written by someone, but then it'll just kind of be open for anyone to record it. Although, I think Al Hibbler's versions, I'm pretty sure that's the most well-known version of this song. Although I noticed that some of the people in the list who would record this song were... um, people like uh, Lou Rawls and Marvin Gaye. I'm sure there's a little bit more soulful than this one but why don't we go ahead and listen to a clip of after the lights go down low by Al I'll after the
1: lights go down low. I wanna hold you, squeeze you as tight as a can I'd like to kiss you there was after Please the lights go down low by Al Hibbler. Luckily, the lights did not stay low for him because he became very famous. That's true. Next artist we want to talk about is another guy who decided to put the word blind in his name, Blind Willie Johnson. No relation to Blind Lemon Johnson. <laughs> Jefferson. No relation to Blind Lemon Jefferson.
0: <laughs> uh, Which is easy to remember because they have completely different names. <laughs> well, maybe like it's like a backwards
1: thing where like their first name is actually their last name. I think they do that in
0: like. So you're you're saying that both of their actual first names were blind.
1: And that somehow that is also their their paternal name.
0: All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and
1: And talk about some
0: information about Willie Johnson.
1: Well, blind Willie Johnson was actually even older than Blind Lemon Jefferson. Uh, According to his death certificate, he was born in 1897 in Texas as well. So apparently Texas has a lot of blind people. When he was five, he told his father he wanted to be a preacher and then made himself a cigar box guitar which is the Mm. coolest thing I ever heard of. Sadly, his mother died when he was very young, and his father remarried soon after her death. Johnson was not actually born blind, although it was not really known how he lost his sight. Angeline Johnson, his wife, told Samuel Charters that when Willie was seven, his father beat his stepmother after catching her going out with another man, and according to this account, the stepmother then blinded young Willie by throwing a lie in his face. Holy crap. Which is really messed up. Wow. Why would she do that to him? I don't know, because she was nuts. But yeah, it's funny. When he was a kid, his father would often leave him on street corners to sing for money. Hmm. Um, tradition has it that he was actually arrested for nearly starting a riot in New or- at a New Orleans courthouse with a powerful rendition of If I Had My Way, I'd Tear the Building Down, a song f- about Samson and Delilah. I don't know who they are. That sounds familiar.
0: though. It's from the Bible. Oh, really? Yeah, because he like, was chained to the temple or something, and then he was really strong, so he ripped it down. Or no, that completely did not happen.
1: That sounds amazing, I'm though. The Bible really, just got I'm way really, more awesome.
0: I really don't. That did not happen. No. Like, she cut his hair, and then he wasn't strong anymore. So or his something. hair
1: contained his strength. What is this, tangled?
0: Sure. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I do not give... An accurate retelling of the Bible. Of the Bible off. It's okay. So... You listeners can look that up if you really want to.
1: Yeah. According to Samuel Charters, however, he was simply arrested for singing for tips in front of the customs house, which we're not supposed to do. Johnson actually, during his musical success, made 30 commercial recording to record sides on five different sessions at Columbia Records from 1927 to 1930. On some of these recordings, Johnson uses a fast rhythmic picking style, while in others, he plays slide guitar. On this particular song, I believe he does the fast picky thing. Cool. The best picky thing. We hear at <laughs> Punk Radio very professional in our descriptions of musical
0: stuff. <laughs> hey, we don't get paid. We don't have to be.
1: Yeah, true that. So, without further ado, since we've described enough about Mr. Willie, let's play a little clip of one of his more famous hits, Nobody's Fault But Mine, which was covered by many, many, many artists afterwards.
0: And
1: nobody's fault but mine. Nobody's fault but mine.
0: My you know, you said that this was covered by a lot of artists. When I first saw the title of this, when you wrote it down, I, I thought of the, uh, the Led Zeppelin song. Or, yeah, it was Led Zeppelin, right? Yes. Who did this, and I didn't, so I didn't know that this was a, that was a, a cover of. So was really Johnson the original? Yes, did Of course. That's cool.
1: He, he did it in, like, the
0: 1920s. I'm pretty sure he was the original guy. Well, I mean, like, when we were talking about Al Hubler a minute ago. Yeah. It was okay. one of those cases where all, everybody did it, so I don't know. Yeah, him. yeah,
1: yeah, that's true. No, he was, uh, he was the originator,
0: and everyone that's progen- cool. progenated from that.
1: Progenerated. Mm. Big words. He was, uh, he was famous around the same time as Blind Lemon Jefferson in the late 1920s. Mm. So there was a span of blind people in music at the time. Although, I guess you could say Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder were kind of famous around the same time, the 60s. Sort of, yeah. Although Ray, Ray, Ray Charles was a little bit earlier. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he was started being famous in like the 50s. Do you ever see that movie Ray?
0: No, I haven't.
1: Dude, well, we'll get we'll get to that when we talk about Ray Charles. But that movie is amazing.
0: Okay. Our next person that we want to talk about is a guy named Ronnie Millsap. He is one of the most influential country music performers of the 70s and 80s, and I didn't know this, but he was actually country music's first successful blind singer. His, uh, his crossover style that he was known for appealed to both country and pop music markets and incorporated elements of pop, R&B, and rock and roll, which is probably why he was so popular. Now, Ronnie Milsap's blindness started as a congenital disorder when he was born, which left him almost completely blind for the first like five years of his life or so, and he was abandoned by his mother as an infant, which is really sad, Aww. and was raised by his grandparents in the Smoky Mountains, which sounds awesome, until the age of five, when he was sent to the Governor Moorhead School for the Blind and Raleigh, North Carolina. During his childhood, he lost his remaining vision, which is very, very sad, and both his eyes were eventually removed. Do they usually, they don't usually do that, do they? They usually keep your eyes. Yeah, they I usually. I mean, like, I don't think I've ever heard of them getting removed.
1: Yeah, unless they're,
0: like, infected
1: to a point that, like, they could cause damage to
0: other parts of your body. They yeah. Even, I don't know. It's not like
1: they just pluck them out because they're not of use. They usually just have, like, a glaze over them.
0: Yeah, kind of bizarre. <laughs> Your eyes are no longer useful to you. We will we'll take them. God. It's like um, Minority Report. Didn't they, like, switch his eyeballs? Oh, yeah. To, like, to give him a different idea. So he could, like, use a scan, some eye-scanning machine. That was yeah. really weird. Oh, yeah. like Oh, yeah. That was kind of cool. That was, yeah, I forgot about that movie. That was, like, one of the
1: few good Tom Cruise movies. <laughs>
0: Now he, he had a pretty big career, and he did a lot of different things. Um, we're not going to cover everything, obviously. But in 1965, Millsap signed with the New York-based Scepter Records and worked briefly uh, with soul musicians like Ray Charles, Stevie Wonder, and James Brown. Which is, I mean, even though he worked only briefly with them, that's really impressive to say that he worked with all three of those guys. Serious. And he probably hit it off at least somewhat with Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder since you know,
1: they Because <laughs> everyone who's blind is just automatically friends.
0: Well, I mean, they can. They have like, oh, because I know, um, Ray just, Charles and Stevie Wonder, they were pretty good friends. I know. I'm I'm just messing. Okay, Millsap reached the R&B top five with his song "Never Had It So Good" in 1965. This was his first song that became very popular. The song was written by the famous duo Ashford and Simpson, who also wrote the B-side to this record, "Let's Go Get Stoned," which, funny enough, it was only a B-side for Ronnie Millsap, but. Only a few months later, it became a single for Ray Charles, which sold over a million copies. So I guess it just goes to show it depends. I guess it depends on who's re- who's recording it in their uh, the rendition of a song. And maybe maybe just nobody heard about it when because it, it was the B side of of Ronnie Millsap's thing. So we should yeah. uh, we should file that away
1: under B sides that became more famous by other
0: artists. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good one.
1: We should do a second episode of that.
0: I'm sure. We- I don't know. We're new. I don't think we we talked about covers that were more famous. No. 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 We. I don't think we ever talked oh, about Oh, that's right. Yeah, that might be harder
1: to do, but like B-Sides of
0: like, what artists that got. Covered? Well, B-Sides that became more famous than the A-Side. Yeah. We could probably make an episode out of that. Totally. Anyway, so um, as I mentioned a minute ago, there was Never Had It So Good, which Ronnie Millsap performed in 1965. Let's go ahead and listen to that song so that you can get a, a sense for not only his, his country roots, but also how he incorporates other music elements such as pop and R&B and rock and roll. Hey, Had it so
1: only once in a lifetime the right girl comes along. when you find her brother you better hang speaking of ray charles uh we mentioned it earlier we were because uh peter i'm ashamed we haven't seen the movie but uh, i just recently caught like most of the movie ray on cable i kind of didn't realize this Basically, Ray Charles' kind of notorious twitchiness and kind of, you know, he would always move around and like shake his head. Yeah. It wasn't anything to do with his blindness, but the fact that he basically did heroin for like 30 years. Wow. And apparently, doing drugs for that long of a period has de- terrible damaging effects on your nervous system, which causes you to be kind of twitchy. Yeah. And that's why he would always like bob his head and do the famous, you know, Ray Charles yeah. head weave while he would sing and stuff. So. Yeah, that's, that's pretty sad.
0: Yeah, it's pretty sad. If, if we
1: ever do another episode of, uh, of Artists with Drug Abuse, we should definitely throw him in there, sadly. Um, but, and I guess more sad news, because I'm going to tell you a little bit about his childhood. Retroles actually lost his sight at the age of five and was completely blinded by the age of seven, apparently due to glaucoma. Hmm. Uh, because that was, back then, there was like no remedy for that. You got glaucoma, you went blind. <laughs> it's really sad. Therefore, due to his blindness, he attended school at the Florida School for the Deaf and the Blind in St. Augustine from 1937 to 1945, where he developed his musical talent. During this time, he actually performed on WFOY radio in St. Augustine. Sadly, his father died when he was 10, his mother five years later. So, his childhood pretty much sucked balls.
0: Wait, so he went blind at 5, then at 10, his dad died, and then at 15, his mom died.
1: Yeah. This, This is all covered in the movie, Ray, starring... Jamie Foxx. Cool. The whole time I was watching Ray, I just
0: wanted Jamie Foxx to turn into Django. (laughs) Ray Charles Unchained.
1: (laughs) So, well, I guess a little bit of good news to throw in here so we don't completely depress our listeners about Ray Charles. Uh, While in school, Charles was actually taught only classical music, but he wanted to play jazz and blues that he heard on his family radio. While at school, he became the school's premier musician, and on Fridays at the South Campus Literary Society, where they held assemblies... Ray Charles would come and play piano and sing popular songs. And on Halloween and Washington's birthday, because apparently that was important back then, other than a day off work, the colored department of the school, which is really sad that they actually had a thing called the colored department, yeah. had socials where Ray Charles would play. And it was here that he actually established this band, R.C. Robinson and the Shop Boys, and sang his own arrangement of Bell Boogie. Sadly, he spent his first Christmas at the school, but the staff was like so enamored by him that they actually pitched in so that they could send Charles home to Greenville every Christmas break.
0: Mm.
1: And they did that every year after that, so that's really cool. That's cool. So there's a little bit of sunshine, rainbow in this otherwise cloudy...
0: Rays of sunshine. Because <laughs> he's Ray Charles. Yeah. Uh,
1: it's funny, because I think we've mentioned Ray Charles a couple of times in our podcast, because he's yeah. kind of famous. So, without further ado, let's listen to a little lesser-known hit of uh, Mr. Ray Charles. Nighttime is the right time. You know the now the right time to be with the one you
0: love now.
1: And I, oh, baby. And I, come on, baby.
0: So that was Nighttime is the right time by Ray Charles. Yeah, I think that's actually somewhat well known. It's, it's, well, it's not it's, like it's not like the one. Yeah, it's bad. it's on like
1: his B list of like you probably wouldn't see it on a greatest hits, but it's still pretty well known. Yeah, I really want to snag his um, album. Oh, it's like country songs in the key of I Love You. Sadly, Ray Charles passed away June tenth of two thousand four in Beverly Hills, California. He was seventy three years old, which is pretty darn old.
0: Not bad considering how many years he was doing heroin. I would... <clears throat> No, I'm serious.
1: Yeah, that's actually very true. Well, he, on numerous occasions he tried to go clean, and okay. I think by by that elderly age he was. But yeah, he did it for a pretty
0: pretty long time. Hmm. I'm pretty glad true. he was able to live at least that
1: long. Yeah, that's that's nothing to sneeze at. Oh yes, the album I want to snag from him is his
0: famous modern sounds in country and western music. Cool. So, who do we got to mix, Mr. Peter? Going up next is one of our favorite soul singers, Clarence Carter. And, funny enough, we didn't know until recently that he was blind. Yeah, was
1: like, seriously, like, we were, like, completely enamored with this guy, especially after we discovered the song Stroke, and never knew that he was blind. Like, how does that happen?
0: Was Because, like, we always... You know, if you see, like, a music videos or something, he's always wearing, like, the dark shades. And I, ne- I never really connected that with, with blindness. I thought he was just being cool. I mean, he's both and cool but i don't know for some reason it never occurred to me and it helped me um actually respect him a little bit more as well um so if you don't know clarence carter he's a soul singer musician and songwriter and record producer and he's been active in the music industry since 1962 and as far as i know he's still doing at least a little bit of touring around today because i've seen a few videos online of relatively recent performances that he's done it's cool to know that he's still torn around at least a little bit i mean we should check to see if he's ever in our area he may only be doing like little things at festivals now i don't know but i would love to see him live that'd be awesome oh gosh
1: right that's like book of this stuff right there
0: so clarence carter was born in montgomery alabama and attended the alabama school for the blind in talladega alabama and alabama state college in montgomery and graduated in 1960 with a bachelor of science degree in music so that's pretty cool he went all the way through college yeah and he got his music degree during his early career He performed as a duo with his friend Calvin Scott in local clubs, and they actually had some uh, releases for minor record labels uh, locally, but nothing really was too successful at all. At the end of 1967, Clarence Carter joined Atlantic Records, which is a pretty major record label, and he started to have some more uh, success with songs that he released there, uh, namely Slip Away in 1968, which was his first big hit, and reached number two on the R&B chart and number six on the pop chart, which is actually pretty impressive considering that he had not really done anything too uh, successful before that. Some of the other songs that we, he recorded later that year were um, Too Weak to Fight and "Backdoor Santa, the latter of which is kind of like a funny, it's a humorous, raunchy Christmas song. I love that. I
1: totally, <laughs> it's like one of those pink elephant things to find, but I really want to find that on
0: oh, no, Yeah. I man. have Strogan,
1: but I don't have that. Uh,
0: it's a good song. Yeah. And um, so those were in 1968, and then in 1970, he released what would become his biggest hit, his rendition of Patches, which was was originally by Chairman of the Board, but I think his version is far beyond more famous. I
1: didn't know that. I thought that was originally him.
0: I did too, but recently, I don't know. I figured that out recently. And I saw it again today that that was, actually, they had done it first. I can dig it. Didn't we talk about? I think that we talked about. Maybe, maybe we I'm talked about that. Pretty
1: sure we didn't. I would have. I would have had the same reaction I, I'm having now, <laughs> unless um, I'm just I don't know. that bad with memory.
0: I don't know. I believe. I think I looked it up, and I think we have played patches on the show before. So instead, I thought, well, why don't we listen to a different song by Clarence Carter, "Slip Away," which is another song I really like by him. And I was saying before that that was his uh, first big hit. So let's go ahead and listen to a clip of "Slip Away" by Clarence Carter. Okay. okay. Oh,
1: I need you, darling. I want to see you right now. Can you slip away? Slip away. Slip away, yeah. Oh, I need you so. Another artist that we wanted to throw in here because we like to throw in random artists that no one's ever heard of is <laughs> um, Art Tatum, for those of you that don't know, which is probably most of you because I didn't even know. Tatum was born in Toledo, Ohio. His father, Arthur Tatum Sr., was a guitarist and an elder at Grace Presbyterian Church, where his mother, Mildred Hoskins, played piano. From infancy, sadly, Art Tatum suffered from cataracts, as did Ray Charles, which left him blind in one eye and almost blind in the other. A number of surgical procedures improved his eye condition to a degree, but some of the benefits were reversed when he was assaulted in 1930 at the age of 20. That's pretty messed up. Assaulted. Seriously, who assaults a near-blind person?
0: Well, I mean, if it's 1930, people were kind of messed up back then, so... Oh, yeah, I forgot. It's the Depression. That's pretty terrible, though. That's, yeah, and in, in any time period, that's pretty terrible for the 19. I mean, not only that he got assaulted, but then it also kind of reversed some of the benefits of yeah. of that surgery, so it's pretty bad. Serious.
1: Amazingly, Art Tatum was considered a child prodigy uh, with perfect pitch, and he learned to play by ear picking out church hymns by the age of three and learning tunes from the radio and copying piano roll recordings his mother owned. He developed an incredibly fast playing style without losing accuracy. As a child, he was also very sensitive to the piano's intonation. What does that mean? I don't know. Let's find out. Intonation in music is a musician's realization of pitch accuracy, or of the Hmm. pitch accuracy of a musical instrument. So it's in tone. Intonation, like inclination but with tone. Cool. While well, playing piano was the most obvious application of his mental and physical skills, he also had an encyclopedic memory of Major League Baseball statistics, which was probably very useful at the time because <laughs> everyone loved baseball. That's cool. So but yeah, basically he was just an all-around crazy genius dude.
0: Like, because you know, like you hear about like the the savants who can you know play music, you know, pretty much perfectly. Like that guy that we and saw. Like that, like that, one guy
1: on uh, Stanley's Superhumans.
0: Like you could say any song and he would remember it perfectly. So, I mean, that's impressive, but then he also, like, those type of people also have really good memory, and they can rack up this whole archive of information in their minds, and it sounds like um, Art Tatum, with the baseball statistics, I mean, I wonder if maybe he had something kind of like that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, back then, they didn't really diagnose that kind of stuff, so... Yeah, really. Let's
1: let's do a little clip of Art Tatum's incredibly famous song, Tea for Two, which became an instant American classic. So yeah, that was T for Two by Art Tatum. Definitely, of the guys we talked about, definitely more of the jazz influence in there.
0: Yeah, got jazz piano type sound.
1: He's like the jazz music he'll be around (laughs) brave what do we got up last mr peter
0: coming up last is one of the most famous blind singers of all time stevie wonder
1: yay fun fact stevie wonder was one of the youngest
0: musicians to ever
1: start a motown at the age of 13
0: that is very correct if you're living under a rock and you don't know who stevie wonder is he's a singer songwriter and instrumentalist who was one of the most iconic musicians of the late 20th century. He became blind shortly after birth, and like Kyle just said, uh, signed with Motown's Tamla label at the age of 11. I don't know, did you say I don't I said know, 13. I think his first song was came yeah, out, that one uh, song. Yeah, his first number one hit was at 13. And cool fact, he still performs and records from Motown Records to this very day. Oh. It's cool that he stayed with them for so friggin' long. Yeah, right? So Stevie Wonder released his first hit single called "Fingertips" in 1963. Um, the song was originally a jazz instrumental recorded for his first studio album, The Jazz Soul of Little Stevie Wonder. In his earlier days as a performer, he was called Little Stevie Wonder. Uh, the song contains only a few stanzas of lyrics, so it's pretty much more of an instrumental piece. But it's it more more showcases Stevie Wonder's talents on bongos and a harmonica. The harmonica in particular is one of his signature instruments that he uses in several of his famous songs and he's pretty well known for that let's go ahead and listen to fingertips by stevie wonder which was his very first hit single and we know pretty well that he had dozens and dozens of them um in the following years but this was his first one so let's listen to it
1: I have four of his albums, by the way. Wow. That's how much I love that man. Which ones? I have Songs in the Key of Life, Fulfilling This First Finale, Inner Visions, and Talking Book. Wow.
0: Well, that's a pretty good collection, man. Yeah, I have like all of his big hits. I love it. So that was a lot of Blind Singers that we talked about. Uh, but as you can see, Blindless is... Unfortunately, a handicap that does not stop several of um, music's greatest artists. So, um, I don't know. I find it pretty cool. I find it very inspirational. How, how many of these guys were able to, you know, to become successful t- despite that. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. I think it's, it goes to show that, you know, if these people can become successful in what they do, then anybody can. So, yeah, well, it's, a, it's a happy it's ending the, story. There's nothing stopping you. Ain't no stopping us now.
1: Ain't no stopping us now.
0: We hope you enjoyed our episode of Funk Radio today. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash getyourfunk. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes under uh, the podcast category, search for Funk Radio. And we'll be right there on the top because we're so cool. I've been wondering whether I should start a, uh, a Twitter account for Funk Radio, but I don't think it's really popular enough even on Facebook for that to really be justified.
1: I hate Twitter and I despise its existence, so i against it. <laughs> You know what we could do is start a funk radio sponsored Spotify podcast. You can create public playlists. As we talk about artists, we can add the songs to the list so they can listen to the full songs if they so choose in a legal manner. I highly encourage people to purchase it on iTunes because then you can you know listen to it on your iPod on the go. But since Spotify allows for free listening of musics, you know yeah. On your, computer why not
0: yeah we should definitely start doing that that'd be cool
1: especially since half the stuff i find is on spotify anyway
0: yeah well that's cool well maybe we'll start doing that funky listeners, so you heard it here first as we were just deciding it right now
1: yes we, we hold our internal meetings in public yes through our podcast
0: <laughs> anyway so that wraps up our episode about blind singers for today not quite sure what we'll be doing for our next one but stay tuned and you'll find out
1: This has been your funky host,
0: Kyle. And this has been your funky host, Peter. We love you. Have a good night or a good day, whatever it is for you people listening. Okay, later. (laughs) Bye. For more podcasts and the latest news in gaming, movies, and entertainment, visit 8thCircuit.com.